I was a foster kid. My parents picked me up out of foster care and adopted me. Um, they were so loving, they gave me every opportunity that they could. I went to private school all of my life. Uh, I grew up in church as well. They gave me as many opportunities as possible in church. Eventually, I started to deviate from the church. Uh, around middle school, I was very interested in creating my own identity, and what I found in that was um, an identity in drugs. I started using drugs around the age of 12, and always felt like I needed more acceptance. I used drugs to cover this up. I ended up using almost every drug known to man. I barely graduated high school because of this, but I did graduate. I went off to Nashville for college. Around this same time, my parents also moved to Cincinnati. Um, in Nashville, I struggled a lot. It was a very hard time for me. I ended up getting through a semester of college and moving back in with my parents. My parents didn't have to let me move back in with them, but they did um, under one condition that I went to church with them. We ended up all agreeing that Anderson Hills was our church home. I joined the Anderson Hills Music Ministry uh, first I worked with Alec, we got really close and he started asking me questions about the gospel and got me very interested in that. Uh, then Eric came along and started asking me also questions about what I believed in and I really couldn't tell him what I believed in. Over the next couple months he talked to me a lot about the gospel in ways that I could understand. This really helped me. Uh, we met regularly and I eventually decided that I wanted to follow Jesus, that I wanted that in my life. Um, I still struggled with the sin that I had at this time. Um, through this, Eric decided to take me off of the worship team and just uh, really just to spend some time with me and to help me unpack uh, the lies the enemy had told me and the real reasons that I was struggling in the sin that I was. I just kept on going back and forth between living for God and wanting to hold on to my old life. In this time, Eric gave me this book called Kill the Spider. I learned through this book that my sins were just the manifestation of a deeper issue that I had. So I found out that my drug use wasn't just me using drugs, but it was really a cry for acceptance and a need for identity that I had created in a place other than in Christ. So God has called me out of all of my sin and my shame into a whole new chapter of my life. Before I, I felt like I had no purpose or worth and God showed me that uh, I have infinite purpose in his kingdom and that I'm worthy, that I'm his son. And uh, man, Harlan, like, dude, watching you on the drums this morning, and, and listen, I was jealous of you this morning, not of your talent, but of the way the Spirit of God is moving in your life. And I think it's powerful. All right, bro. So proud of you, man. So proud of you. Thank you. I can be used even though I've done what I've done and I have been the person that I've been. God says that I'm not that person anymore.
Harlan, rule number one, dude, when a guy's getting up to preach, you shouldn't make him cry, okay? That's tough. That's tough on a guy. Hey, good morning. My name is Matt Howe, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. Good morning to those who may be watching us live stream. Excited that you're here with us. So uh, you did it. You survived sub-zero wind chills, single-digit temperatures this week, right? So just go ahead, give yourselves a little pat on the back there. You did it. I have never seen my dogs use the bathroom as fast as they did on Wednesday morning. I mean, normally our old dog, he's kind of like, I'll do it because I want to get back inside, you know. But our young pup, she's like three. She's usually like squirrel, rabbit, tree, wind. You know, and I'm sitting out there in the cold going, all right, Bailey, any day now. I mean, Bailey went out and she was like, bang, she was done. And she was standing by the door like, okay, it's cold, right? So if a dog knows it's cold, it's cold, right? But we survived and now it's going to be like 60 tomorrow. Welcome to Ohio. Bipolar weather, we call it. So... Hey, today we do begin a new series called, let's say it together, it's on the screen, Kill the Spider. And I want to thank Harlan for sharing his story and kind of kicking us off and getting us going. Um, I mentioned this a few months ago, but it has been awesome to watch the Lord working in this young man's life. And so if you've never had a chance to meet Harlan, he's the guy in the sound booth this morning, just go over and give him a high five or a hug after the service and let him know you appreciate him sharing his story. Um... Life is full of ups and downs, isn't it? This week has been one of those weeks, ministerially speaking, it's been like the roller coaster of pastoral work because yesterday, Saturday, uh, in the morning, we had our men's Super Bowl breakfast. How many of you men were here? Give me a grunt, right? Uh, It was a lot of fun, good time. Cedric Pierman, former running back for the Bengals, was our uh, speaker, did a fantastic job, just brought the gospel. I mean, it was really powerful. Um, So that was awesome. That was a high, right? Then yesterday afternoon, um, I got to marry uh, Tim and Kelly and send them off into new life together, and that's celebratory, and that's always a lot of fun as a pastor to get to do that, help people tie the knot, so to speak. And then today I get to be here with you, worshiping and starting this series. And then tomorrow night, um, I'm on the same platform with the opportunity to share, not just with our church family, but with our community at Trayvon's memorial service. And so it's just kind of like up and down and highs and lows and everything in between this weekend um, for me. But I think that's a perfect reminder of what life is like. Because that's just kind of how life is, right? It's a roller coaster. We get on, we, we have ups, we have downs, we have twists, we have turns. Sometimes we find ourselves completely upside down. I mean, every story is kind of like that. But I want you to know this morning that the Christian life is about way more than our feeble attempts to stop sinning. Sometimes we get caught into this pattern where we sin, and then we're like, oh man, I sinned, I messed up, and so we try to fix it, and we try to make it right, and then we go back and we sin again, and then we try to fix it, and we make it right, and we just kind of get caught up in this cycle. But really what the Christian life is about is it's about believing our identity as a child of the living God. Like if we could just all get in that frame of of mind this morning, like I believe in my identity as a child of the living God, that would just change everything. There's a big difference between trying to correct sinful patterns and ultimately uprooting the root sin. Freedom is not found in our striving. Freedom is found in our surrender. And that's, that's a beautiful picture of what we're going to be talking about for these next several weeks. Freedom is not found in striving. Freedom is found in surrender. Jesus wants us to live in freedom from all that entangles us. And on a daily basis, it could be any number of things. He wants us to find freedom ultimately in whom? 
him, right, in Jesus Christ. That's where we find our freedom. God wants to replace our false beliefs with his life-giving truth, right? I mean, that's the purpose of the Bible. When we read this, what we're ultimately seeking to do is replace some false belief that we have with the life-giving truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we start this morning in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 10 together. It's up on the screen. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. And then key in here on verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. Let's say those three things together. To steal, kill, and destroy. Here we go. Ready? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. I, Jesus Christ, have come that they may have, what's that word? Life and have it to the full. Hmm. That's good. It's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. So great daily reminder. When I start living as someone who has had something stolen from him, you know what I'm saying? Like, just remember that the Son of Man came to give life and to give it to its fullest. Life as a Christian is not always going to be smooth sailing. Jesus never promised that in Scripture. He doesn't promise that to us today. From a season of peace and joy, we can quickly be plunged into a season of darkness and despair. That's that roller coaster I talked about earlier. The truth is that we are in a spiritual battle with a real enemy who has come to steal, kill, and destroy all that is right and honorable to God. And he's doing it by feeding us lies. And even more than just feeding us lies, he's doing it by convincing us that the lies are, in fact, true. Like he wants us to believe the lie. It's not enough just to tell us the lie. He's got to get us to believe it as well. Jesus talks about this enemy here in John 10. To Jesus, this thief is all the forces of evil that he ultimately came to overthrow. So this includes the devil, certainly, but also the devil's demons, any unclean spirits that Jesus was known to be driving out in the people of that day, and even the religious authorities, those who were challenging Jesus in everything that he taught, those who ultimately charged that Jesus himself was in cohorts with the devil. That's who this thief is, the thieves, the robbers. And then if you read on a little bit in verse 11, it talks about a wolf that attacks sheep. These are all representations of evil. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe in the existence of the devil. There are definitely those out there in this day and time, even Christian theologians, who would say, uh, maybe not. And I would say, hmm, yeah, right? There's, there's such a thing as the devil. I believe in the devil. I believe in every kind of evil. I believe, why? Because the Bible does. The Bible talks about it. I believe because Jesus did. Jesus talked about it. I believe because I can explain in no other way the evil that I see, da- see played out every day of my life. There was some of that last night. For those of you that track the news a little bit, you might have heard this morning uh, a terrible incident out of Claremont County where a police officer was shot and killed, another police officer injured. And knowing a little bit about the background, I know that that was nothing short of the presence of evil. 
working against the Spirit. And so I believe. I believe because I have, like you, been tempted by the enemy's lies. Many people mistakenly believe that the devil is the opposite of God. God? Devil. But he's not. You see, God has no opposite. God has no equal. The devil is not all-knowing. The devil is not all-powerful. The devil is not eternal. In fact, the Bible tells us that the, that the devil himself was created. Be created by whom? Created by God. In the third chapter of Genesis, the devil is described as a crafty serpent. Not because he's really good at making bead necklaces, <laughs> but because he's sneaky because he was doing everything he could to trip up Adam and Eve. He calls them ultimately to go against God's plan for humanity. And then in the 12th chapter of Revelation, we learn that there was a cosmic war in which the archangel Michael led the loyal angels in war against Satan, another angel, and defeated him. And as a result, Satan and his followers were thrown out of heaven and cast down to the earth where their mission became to lead the entire world astray. That's what happened. That's how Satan came to be. And so that's what he does. That's what the enemy does. He seeks to mess up God's plans. He seeks to wreck his creation, to reap havoc in the world, to usurp God of his glory and of his authority. The thief is unimaginably malicious, mean, ugly, and cruel. His temptations are pathways to destruction, and yielding to them is always going to be a road to our ruin. Now, you might think that the devil has some great power, and he does have some power. But you see, his power is limited. God has set boundaries that Satan cannot pass. And the Bible tells us that a time will come, ultimately, when God will throw Satan into the lake of fire, and he will bother humanity no more. But until that time, listen to these encouraging words from the Apostle Peter. He says in 1 Peter 5.8, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You see, the enemy's primary weapon is what we call deception. He wants to steal our attention. He wants to steal our focus. He wants to get us to err without any suspicion that the thing we are doing is even wrong. He has wisdom and cunning above all of humanity. He can corrupt and he can blind reason. He plays on our pride, addiction, stupidities, and temperamental flaws to endorse and induce all forms of mental and moral folly fantasies, unbelief, misbelief, dishonesty, infidelity, cruelty, exploitation, and everything else that degrades and dehumanizes God's creation. He has a plan for your life consistent with his name, Destroyer. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he will do whatever it takes to get a foothold in your life, in your family life, in your work life, in your school, in your relationships. It doesn't matter what it is. He's working against you. Oh, man. Kind of depressing, isn't it? Like, wow, well, okay, Matt, thanks for that. 
Let's just pray and we'll go on our way. No. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. It's actually really good news. You see, we don't have to fear him. We don't have to fear this enemy. Why? Because we have one on our side who is far greater than he. John tells us that Jesus is the good shepherd who promises to protect his flock from evil. Even laying down his life to protect and to save them. Maybe uh, many of you don't know this, but um, that word pastor that that we wear uh, on, on our title, it really means shepherd. And so a part of what we consider to be a responsibility of ours is to protect our flock. Like, I see it as my responsibility to protect this congregation from all forms of evil. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. He protected his flock from evil, even laying down his life. I've seen people's lives that were left in shambles after being ravaged by evil, only to watch God sweep in and turn things around and use those same experiences for good. You see, it is God who can turn sorrow into joy, grief into singing, doubt into faith, guilt into forgiveness, defeat into hope, and ultimately fear into courage. And what I want us to see this morning is that we are in a spiritual battle with a real enemy who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And the biggest way that evil does that is by feeding us lies. In chapter 8 of the Gospel of John, Jesus says this concerning the devil. He says, when he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's what he does. That being said, we need to identify the lies that we have listened to and find freedom from them. And so over the course of the next several weeks, you're going to hear a lot of, uh, uh, from us concerning two things. Spiders and cobwebs. Now, this imagery is not something that we just made up off the top of our head. This imagery that we're going to use throughout this series um, comes from a book called Kill the Spider. Harlan mentioned it in his testimony. Kill the Spider is written by author and speaker Carlos Whitaker. And in this book, Carlos describes his journey to knock out deep-rooted habits that were hurting his relationships with others and ultimately hurting his relationship with God. And in his book, Carlos helps his readers to identify the hidden spiders that haunt them, the real causes behind what he calls the cobwebs. And so as we kind of launch into this series this morning, I want to define these two things just a little bit further, and we're going to really dig into them over the next few weeks. But but the first is spiders. So does anybody here, by a show of hands, like spiders? I mean, like truly, you you actually like spiders. Anybody? Okay, sir, I have a card for our counselor. Her name is Jill Croswell, and you can... (laughs) I mean, spiders are kind of one of those things. Like, look, they're fine if they're outside, and actually, and actually, they're kind of cool, right? Like you're walking through the garden and you see a cool web that one has cast and he's sitting there on the web just chilling, waiting for a juicy fly to come along. Like, all right, Mr. Spider, you're cool, right? You look kind of cool. In my bed, under my sheets, not cool. Not cool. My kids are like freaked out by spiders. Are you, you guys got, is that a kid thing? Like, is that just a normal kid thing? Does anybody's kids, when they see a spider, go, Daddy, come quick. It's a cool spider, 
right? Normally it's, Dad, get this spider. It's 50 feet from me, and it might touch me, right? So nobody really likes spiders. Well, don't worry. There's not going to be any living spiders in this series, or at least I don't think so. Harlan, any living spiders we got planned? All right, no release of living spiders. I I told this story at our staff Christmas party this year. Um, My dad was always about buying real trees at Christmas time, and we would always go to my grandpa's farm and just cut down a cedar tree and bring it into the house. And one year, we cut down, brought in a cedar tree, and two days later, we found literally thousands of spiders in our house. There had been a nest of these spiders in the tree that had hatched, and there were baby spiders everywhere. It was Christmas all. It was was beautiful. So the spiders we're talking about, these aren't real spiders. These are metaphorical spiders. Simply put, spiders, listen to this, for our, their agreements that we have made with lies that the enemy has planted into our minds and into our hearts. Lies that sound like this, you aren't good enough. Anybody believe that lie? You aren't good enough. You aren't capable. You are unwanted. You're not worth anything. God has abandoned you. Jesus couldn't possibly love something like you. Are you tracking with me? I mean, we could just go on and on and on with these lies that the enemy has fed us. Now, the problem is when we believe these lies, we search for ways to comfort ourselves, to escape the pain that they bring. And it's when we try to escape them that we find ourselves stuck in the cobwebs. Cobwebs are messy. Cobwebs are the aftermath of the spider. Cobwebs may be the things that we deal with, such as worry, addictions, whether that's addictions to drugs, pornography, alcohol, food, whatever the case might be. Um, Comparison is another cobweb that we sometimes get entangled in. Uh, Childhood loss or the struggle to receive God's love. All of these things can be cobwebs. Cobwebs can also be a little subtler and and seem prettier maybe than these. Like maybe the need to receive approval from relationships or or the seeking after approval on social media or other ways. But all of these cobwebs, they're, they're medicators. That's what they are. They're medicators. They bring us false comfort and they protect us from the lies that we believe about ourselves or about God. Metaphorical cobwebs are a lot like real cobwebs in that once we have stepped into one, it is difficult to escape its grasp. You ever had that experience? You step out in the morning onto your porch and like there's been a spider there overnight that's cast a web and you just walk right through it. And like the rest of the day, you're like, seriously, more in my ear? Like, you know, you're still pulling it out? It's kind of the way it is with these metaphorical cobwebs. They just stick to us, and it's hard to get free. They're a lot like real cobwebs in that we attempt to clean them up. We attempt to wipe them away only a few days later to what? Find more cobwebs, to find them keep returning. And why is that? It's because the only real way to rid ourselves of the cobwebs is to kill the spider. Spiders, or again, the agreements that we have made with lies that the enemy has put in our mind and in our hearts, they keep us in bondage. And being in bondage ultimately chokes out the abundant life that Christ promises to those who believe. 
So how do we escape? How do we break free? It's only when we understand God's truth and make it a part of our lives that we will be able to enjoy the freedom that enables us to live the Christian life to its fullest. In John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. I feel like we need to say that a little louder. The truth will what? Set you free. There you go. See, it's not enough for us to know God's truth. In order to be free, we have to believe his message. We have to receive his message. We have to choose the truth. We have to choose the truth over the lies. We have to repent of our sin. If we aren't sure that our sins are forgiven, then we're most likely experiencing guilt and a feeling of unworthiness to live in victory. The enemy moves right in on this weakness and fault in our belief system, and he uses it against us. So we have to embrace it. We have to live by it. We have to believe it. Remember, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Guilt gives the enemy room to move in and make us feel worthless, which then can stir up other feelings, including rejection and resentment. And these feelings can spill over into the other relationships in our lives. This is bondage that needs to be broken. And so what? In steps Jesus. In steps Jesus. As much as the enemy wants to destroy us, Jesus wants us to live in freedom from all that that entangles us. He wants us to live a full, abundant life. He came to destroy the works of the enemy and to deliver us from sin. When we run to him, he will restore, support, and strengthen us to live in freedom and in his perfect peace. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, Peter writes, he says, And the God of all grace, who called you to the, his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. As we journey together these next few weeks, God is going to call us, each of us, every one of us, to kill a few spiders. As a first step in this process, I believe that God wants you to place your faith and trust in him. Place your faith and trust in him this morning. Perhaps you're here this morning and you cannot recall a time when you have done this. Maybe you've professed faith in Christ before, but you have recently found yourself sort of slipping back into some old habits, sweeping away a lot of cobwebs and not really understanding, why is this happening? Why do I keep running into all these cobwebs? So what am I going to do? Eric's going to play behind me and I'm just going to pray. And if you're here this morning and you really need to slay a spider, if you really need to get yourself back on track, then I just want you to say this simple prayer with me, okay? So everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm just gonna pray. You be praying along with me, maybe even repeating the things that I say. This is power, there's power in this, okay? Father God, I acknowledge that I am lost in the cobwebs. God, the cobwebs have me entangled, encircled. God, I have allowed the enemy to steal my thoughts, to kill my witness, and to destroy my confidence for far too long. 
And so this morning, God, I repent of my sin and I ask for your forgiveness. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I believe that you raised him from the dead. Today, Lord, I wanna cling to your truth. May it set me free. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for accepting me into your family. Thank you for the promise of eternal life in heaven and abundant life this side of heaven through a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. God, give me today the strength to live for you. Kill the spider in Jesus' name. really what the cross and the resurrection was about and that's why on the night that Jesus was betrayed he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said disciples whom I love this is my body broken for you as often as you eat it do so in remembrance of me and then after the meal he took the cup and he said disciples whom I love this cup This is my blood poured out for the sins of everyone around this table, of everyone here in this room this morning. This cup represents a new covenant between God and his people, and it's a covenant made through my blood. God, bless this meal this morning, this bread and this cup. And God, may they be for us this morning the body and blood of Christ. And may we see how that body and blood of Christ was broken and spilled for us on the cross 2,000 years ago so that today, God, today we can walk in freedom. God, help us to kill the spiders, to stop messing with the cobwebs and get to the root of the problem, to identify it, to slay it, and then to walk triumphantly in the freedom that you offer. May we do for ourselves what you've done for us. Victory, God. We claim victory this morning. And we claim it in the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said,